Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Carol Jean Wilson, who is a former police lieutenant and detective that has over 15 years in law enforcement. Carol Jean is now an author and is joining us to share with us her new book, Prove Them Wrong, which details her story of overcoming a string of traumatic events, beginning early with an abusive childhood. It feels unbelievable to think of a human being enduring what Carol Jean did. Tragically, there are countless Carol Jeans in the world. And so meeting her now and learning of her book, this will hopefully open the way to bringing about healing and change. Carol Jean Wilson, good morning. It is really such a gift to have you join us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure to be on your show. You are really the epitome of this inspirational woman that fits this particular segment of public affairs for us here. Just your life, everything that you've encountered, step by step where you've arrived, all of it is so inspiring. And I'm trusting in sharing, well, in telling people about your book, but in your sharing some of your story with us this morning, people will certainly get a a sense of what you've been through, how that can encourage them, and what we can also plan for our own life. Does that sound fair, Carol Jean? Yes, ma'am. So you're a young woman. You're just in your 30s. What was it that prompted you to write this really um, tough book, but really important book, Prove Them Wrong? Well, it started out as um, more of a way to write everything down and in a journal. And as I was writing each section of my book, Prove Them Wrong, it started to become closure for me of everything that ever happened. And I was sitting there and I'm looking at everything I wrote and I started thinking about the victims that I worked with in sex crimes whenever I was in detective. And I thought about how I would relate to them, how they reacted to everything. And I decided, well, I want to share my story because I want to be able to help other men and women who have gone through something. In my case, it wasn't just one thing. And up to the age of 22, I already lived a whole lifetime of things that don't usually happen to a lot of people. Right. So let's, at this point then, a lot of things by the age of 22, I mean, it's astronomical. It's amazing that in the process, you didn't just die from it yourself. So you started off very young in an abusive childhood. Yes, about up to the age of three was the molestation, and I remember from that is going to see a doctor who had anatomically correct dolls, and I showed that doctor what was done to me with those dolls, and I will never forget that. And the other thing you don't ever forget is the pain of what happened. Um, I go up and I get my biological mother, not long after that, committed suicide. We were, my siblings and I were then adopted by our grandparents, and my grandmother, who back then they called it seasonal depression, but is now known as bipolar, would have these massive mood swings, and she abused us. She beat us down uh, fairly bad. Uh, One day, I didn't do the dishes and at 10 o'clock at night 
that woman came in, pulled me out of my bed out of a deep sleep by my hair, drug me to the kitchen, put the water as hot as she could, and was beating me while I did the dishes. I think I was about 14 years old at that time. And then whenever I turned 17, she committed suicide on the same day that my biological mother committed suicide. Within this time frame, my grandfather, who's one of the meanest men I have ever met, all he ever did was degrade us and tell me things like, I never wanted you, we never wanted you, we never should have adopted you, and just talked down to me. He, whenever I was small, would take me to the bar with him and make me dance in front of his friends while they they sat there and and stared at me. And that's just, you know, I guess ogled at me Mm -hmm. is the other way to put it. So I get past all of this, and I'm thinking, all right, I'm finally, I'm a grown-up. I'm fixing to turn 18. I'm going to finally find some happiness. And so I met my husband, who happened to be a police officer. I became a police officer because of him. At two years after we were married, he ended up dying from a heart condition. And at the time, I was five months pregnant. We did an ultrasound the day after he died to check on my baby, and she had Turner syndrome. So I was sent to a fetal specialist, and they told me, look, there's nothing we can do. Your daughter is not going to make it. And two weeks later, my daughter was stillborn. That, it's incomprehensible. All these things that have happened, and you still managed to survive and go on, not just survive, but really like conquer so much and realize that you needed to share this story. It's just utter amazement that you could do all of that. How does it make you feel to have come through that, Carol Jean? This is the strongest I have ever been. And once I went through the process, what happened last year is that with all these things going on, up into my uh, going into my career in law enforcement and the way that I was treated by sexually harassed and put down by a very small amount of the, my coworkers. The majority of them were very respectful, supported me, but those small amount ones just made my life a living heck. And I, so I kept going. I'm like, I, I can't let this bring me down. Well, what I did with everything beginning from my childhood all through these problems into my adulthood and and with work is I just kept putting it away and locking the door. I put it in the back of my mind and locked the door. So what happened last year is that it all came down on me and hit me like a ton of bricks. And all of it, just my whole life, finally came out. And when I did, I sat down and decided I'm ready to heal and it's time to get help. So I then began therapy, and I'm not ashamed to say that I'm still going to therapy, and I had to be put on medication. I was so depressed that I felt like I was in a hole, and I could not get out of it. I knew I needed somebody to help me. So we get through the depression, and I, we get that under control, and then I start having these symptoms, which were weird. I'm like, what is wrong with me? What is going on? Why am I shaking? Why am I crying? I don't understand. Come to find out, I have PTSD and anxiety. 
that not only resulted from what I've gone through in my life, but two years ago about Christmas, I was fighting for my life on a traffic stop with a driver in the front seat of a car over a gun. I was able to keep his hand off of the gun, but as soon as my backup got to me, he tried running me over. And before that, I had an officer pull a gun on me. He said that, oh, I was just trying my new holster just to see how it worked. He hadn't been with us not even two weeks. I come around the corner between one of the buildings, and there's a gun in my face. So I had to talk him down to holster his weapon. I then ended up having a bad breakup. I had a miscarriage. And all of this is what's caused the symptoms of the PTSD and the anxiety. So I'm like, I can't have this. I'm a strong woman. I'm a cop, for God's sake. I don't want this. I, I can't have this. And I had to come to accept that I did. It's not like I went out one day and decided, huh, I think I'm just going to get PTSD today. It, it happened. And until I accepted not only the PTSD, the anxiety, the depression, and everything that I went through, I couldn't move forward with therapy and moving forward with the healing. So over the last year, I've been working with my therapist where I've actually been able to get off of most of my medications and work through this process where I don't have the shakes. The PTSD is very small. It hardly ever manifests itself. I don't have the depression. So now I've gone from accepting it. I've gone to asking for help. I'm going through healing. And then the final part about all of this, And the hardest for anybody to get through was the forgiveness. I sat there while my grandfather was dying, and I forgave him for everything he ever did. And while I was forgiving him, I forgave my real dad for what he did to me, my mom and her drug addiction, my grandmother, my siblings, anyone that ever hurt me. And let me tell you that this huge weight lifted off of my chest. And this is the happiest I have ever been in my life. Wow. It is so utterly astounding for one human being to go through so much and in just really most of that happened in in just over two decades of your life from really from a very young age. And to come to this place where you're the happiest and you still have this huge life ahead of you. And it's going to get better. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, getting to the point of going to counseling. So having heard your story, and we want to say this story with more detail and much more emotion, if this wasn't enough emotion, but Prove Them Wrong, your book goes into more detail and, and people can maybe find themselves, identify with some piece of it because you've lived such an incredible life. Yes, ma'am. In my book, Prove Them Wrong, the detailing that I do is not only I experienced this, this is how I felt. This is what it did to me mentally. And then with therapy, I learned things about uh, shame, self-hatred at my expense. I hated myself so bad that I didn't think I deserved to be alive. I didn't wear the good clothing. I hid my body with oversized clothing. I didn't 
think that I deserve to get my hair done, get my nails done, or any of that. Not only did I, uh, I shame myself, I would regress. Whenever I, back to when I was three, when my dad was done with me, he would lock me in a bathroom. Keep in mind, this is the 1980s, so we have the accordion-style doors. So the bathroom was attached to a little laundry room, and there was accordion-style doors that uh, separated the two rooms. He would lock me in the bathroom, and I would cry, and I'd bang on the door, and I tried to open it. I couldn't get the door open. So what I would do is that I would get into the clothes hamper with the dirty clothes, cover myself to stay warm, and cry myself to sleep. This is a little three-year-old girl, right? You were three. Yeah. And to go through that, it's it's just, we know abuse happens. You're describing it. So we can multiply that by hundreds and, and sadly, maybe even more. And that, of course, had an imprint on your, on your soul, on your being, right? It did. Uh, the thing was is that even though I was locked in that room, and I cried and it hurt, but that was the safest place I could be because they couldn't, in my, my little mind, they couldn't get to me. So whenever I regress, I would always regress back to that little girl. Now, it didn't show in my professional life. I'm a whole different person in my professional life because I had to be. I had to be out there to survive. But when it came to my personal life, that's where it would show. Oh, goodness. So underscoring, we owe it to ourselves, if not perhaps personally for our own life, but perhaps in understanding someone else that we may be associated with another family member, perhaps we're in the service profession, maybe we are a teacher, we'll notice this with children in our classroom. All of this is going to be an incredible teaching tool, isn't it, Carol Jean? Yes, it is. The other thing that I have experienced, especially since uh, my book, Prove Them Wrong, has come out, which I experienced it before, I kept this in for 35 years and never told anybody the majority of it. I would, like, a little bit here, try to talk to somebody, and they would shut me down, or they didn't want to hear it. They would tell me that I was crazy. I wasn't crazy. I was hurt, and my soul was broken. And I was trying to ask for help. So each of those little times I tried asking for help and got shut down is whenever I finally decided, you know what, I'm just never going to talk about it. I'm going to hold it in. Well, my book comes out, and I was shamed. And when these people shamed me, it re-victimized me. And I was experiencing what other victims are going through when they try to disclose what happens to them. I was being told, you're crazy, or your parents were upstanding members of the church. Why are you doing this to them? No, what about me? Oh, you're getting what you deserve since your book came out with all the negativity. You deserve what you're getting. Uh, no, I don't. Y'all need to stop doing this to people. This is why victims don't come forward. This is what the major reason that I never said anything. And then I sat down one day and I was like, you know what? I'm letting them hurt me back to whenever I was to that little girl again. And it's going to stop today. I said, you know, they can't take my family from me again. They certainly aren't going to put their hands on me. 
And I'm not going to sit there and let them continue the abuse by verbally doing this to me. And I said, enough was enough. And I tell them, either you can shut up or get out of my way because I have a life to live. Absolutely. Yes. Applause to that. And thank you. You're welcome. But thank you because you are having lived this, experienced it, and come through it and are continuing to work on yourself. I think that also, again, encourages those who perhaps have also been shut down or just shut themselves down because they thought no one would believe them, encourages them to really take those steps forward. And well, finding a therapist as you did, thankfully, you know, perhaps if your mother, you know, going back all those decades, if she had been aware of such help, maybe things could have been different. But you can't un- undo that, but you can make your life better, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. I cannot undo what happened to me. But if I hadn't gone through everything, all the negative things, the death, the abuse and all that, as messed up as it is, I would not be the strong woman that I am today. And you know, again, big applause for that, Carol Jean. I think that that is one of the healthiest ways for us to look at what's happened to us. Yes, we need to talk about it and and do what we can to heal, but also to realize how much it makes us be the person we are, helps us to be a stronger woman. Yes, a lot stronger. The other thing that I found out, not not only in my investigations, but are working with the victims. And a lot of this, whenever people can't deal with it, with the abuse or losing a family member, be it to suicide or just normal, unexpected death, and they're young, you get the mental illness issues that everyone sees in the news, the overdoses, drug addiction, alcoholism, the suicide attempts, suicidal thoughts, the lack of self-worth, the shaming, the self-hatred at my expense is really bad. And with addiction, what they're doing is they're trying to numb the pain and suppress the memories because they are not ready to heal or deal with it. And then I started to notice these things more because I would get these addicted people that I had to arrest. And one day I finally just decided, I want to ask why. What happened to you to make you this way? And most of it was abuse. You know, that question comes to my mind so often as I read the news stories, I'll hear something, and I'll wonder, why did it come to that? So you ask them, and we see that there was just then that perpetual cycle. They suffered the abuse. They're then putting it on someone else. Right. Not only did they suffer the abuse, but a lot of them do, my siblings, they blame everybody else for what happened to them. It's everyone else's fault when they do something wrong. It was everyone else's fault that they were abused instead of actually dealing with the problem at hand and to be able to move on. So that's a key thing, isn't it? Blaming everyone else. And this is not a time when you take responsibility. It's like, it was not your fault that those things happened to you. But just deciding, you know, it happened. What am I going to do about it is how we move forward, right? Correct. You can't change it. We don't have time machines. We can't go to the past and say, oh, you're not going to do this to me. You're not going to 
uh, in their mind, ruin my life, and it's got to be dealt with. In the 80s and 90s, and way before that, because I was raised by my grandparents, so it's kind of old school thinking, you don't talk about these things. It doesn't happen in our family. You don't tell anybody about this. This is the huge family secret. You say anything, you're crazy. Oh, my God, she's taking medicine. Oh, there's something wrong with her. You know, not only do they go back into their little circles and talk about it, but they shun them. They shun the people that we should be out there helping. People that try to commit suicide and survive. There are survivors are shunned whenever we should be helping them through the process of, all right, well, why did you try to kill yourself? Why did you think that was the only way out when there is so much help out here for you? And the people like that, when they're at their lowest, they cannot see the bright side. They cannot see that they can get through this. So, yes, their last thought is, I'm not supposed to be on this earth. I can't take it anymore. Nobody's helping me. I'm ready to die. I have met the survivors of suicide. They regret what they did, but they made it through, and it actually started their healing process, but they still couldn't share it because they were still being shamed by society. And that is certainly a very key area for us to focus on, to have a greater understanding, to be more compassionate, for sure, and you know, in these early days of your book, are you getting that kind of feedback from people? Oh, yes, actually. I already have many people come up to me, and men and women, and they say, I read your book. I saw what you went through. I've never told anybody I went through this. And I'll listen to them, and what I tell them is, I'm so happy that you're here today and you're alive be it whatever the situation is. I had another woman come up to me and she tells me, you know what? Not only did I go through this, but young people need to read your book that are going through hard times or something happened to them to see that no matter what happens, there is a bright side and you can make it through it because you are living proof of that. And while you were on the police force, you were a lieutenant, you had the opportunity to speak to high school students. And did you, of course, that was before your book, so they had no connection that way. But did you get that kind of sense from them that they wanted to talk to someone, that uh, you saw the way that you would share things with them, that you'd get a response from them? Yeah, actually, I did. Uh, The way that I knew that I got their attention because I was talking about bullying and suicides because of bullying. When I did the presentation about six months before at the school that I was at, one of the students had committed suicide from being bullied. So I actually used that case in my presentation. And I knew that I finally got most of their attention when they started to cry, which means they were starting to relate that something happened to them. And what the school actually did is they had brought in more counselors from the school system, and after my presentation was done, had them readily available to help those students. Oh, how their lives are in the process of changing. That was a real major turnaround. And so even before the book, 
there were those things happening. Now the book's available, and certainly for high school students, it would be very key reading. Yes, it is. Because I also discuss about the bullying that I went through in school. And it was a lot, right? It was. I went to a very prestigious high school where I was actually bored at school. It was the Louisiana School for Math, Science, and the Arts. It's the top high school in the state of Louisiana. I wanted to go to this school because it got me out of the house and out away from the abuse that I was going through. So I'm like, all right, I'm finally getting away from this. I'm going to be able to be an adult, make my own decisions. It didn't stop. A group of girls who were what they called goths back then, decided to play a prank on me because they didn't particularly like me. And they ended up finding out the girls, and they told them, the school administrators, we did this because we do not like her. And they ended up being suspended. And I'm just like, what did I ever do to them? I've never been mean to them. I've never associated with them. They just happened not to like me. Back in about sixth grade is whenever everyone's trying to find their identities and who they're going to be and all that. And again, I would have my old best friend and we hung out a lot. You hang out at school, you do stuff like birthday parties and all that. Another group of girls decided, hey, I don't like that they're friends, so let's pick on them. So they went around telling everybody that we were lesbians. And initially, it didn't bother me. I didn't know what one was, you know. We were kids. And then my mom explained it to me after my friend's mom called her. And she explained it to me. I'm like, well, I'm not a lesbian, but they shouldn't be using that to try and hurt me. (laughs) And it just continued throughout the school years. So these are the heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching stories that you openly share. So many can relate to this. And you're finding, as you've said, Carol Jean, right, that people are telling you things that have happened to them as a result of reading prove them wrong. Yes. And they're also telling me where they are in their healing process. That of all the ones that have spoken to me, only one has made it to where she is almost ready for forgiveness, and that is a huge accomplishment. The majority of people don't even get to acceptance, which is the first stage. So this, as well as sharing this important story, also, in a way, a therapeutic book that people can see these stages and connect to where they are on their journey. Yes, it does. And it also could show them that with help, which a lot of people don't think they need help, but with help, They can get through it. I had therapy, which I still go to about once a week, and I'm still realizing new things about myself. But I'm also very analytical, so learning things about shame and regression, PTSD, what are triggers? Triggers were any for my PTSD, which would cause me to shake, which could be a smell. It could be something someone said, not to hurt me, but something in my past where someone said that exact words and hurt me back then it could be something that I see it could be anything and we were able to figure out my triggers for my work-related life because we knew what they were we knew that I had to fight with the guy over the gun we had the officer pull the gun on me those were easy to figure out 
the hard one is to figure out were the ones in my personal life. And the way that it affected me in my personal life is that I had to break the chain of abuse, be it from the people shaming me and verbally abusing me continually until I finally made the decision a couple of months ago, this is going to stop and I'm breaking the chain that I could finally move on and finally have a meaningful relationship. All of the relationships that I have had since my husband died, I was reverting back to the same type of person as my father, who was my abuser, and those were who I was picking. No, they wouldn't dare lay a hand on me, but the verbal abuse, the verbal manipulation and coercion still happened. Most people are like, well, Carol Jean, how could you let people do this to you? You're a cop. Well, here's the thing. I'm human. Yes. And that's what I feel that we're going to really glean from this incredible book, Prove Them Wrong. We owe it to ourselves to read this and learn whatever lessons we need to be learning. And you have a website, Carol Jean. We should direct people there for more connection with you. Yes, it's caroljeanwilson.com, where people can send me messages. They can see more of my story and what's going on in my life right now, like with the interviews. So if they want to listen in and hear more of the process that I went through or hear that, you know, this isn't something to hide anymore. You can speak up about it. And with my book, Prove Them Wrong, boy, did I speak up about it. I put my whole life out there for people to see. And we are really such beneficiaries of your being so open, so vulnerable. And, you know, saying thank you seems so small, but really from my deepest part of my heart, thank you, Carol Jean, for seeing the need to do that. And thank you also greatly for taking this time with us this morning. Oh, you're very welcome. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Carol Jean Wilson and Sunday Morning Magazine with Kevin O'Connor. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Click on the On Air tab, then the Podcast tab, and look for the show and guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of truly considering how we can be life givers in our own piece of existence here on this little planet. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.